our reading this evening is from Daniel chapter 9, which is on page 895 of your Bibles. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commandments and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this is the day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has, has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole of heaven, nothing has ever been done like that which has been done to Jerusalem. Just as, as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favour of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving our attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favour on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you, because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. People Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for this holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening of the sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, 
I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. This is the word of the Lord. Father, hear our prayer as we come to you and we long to you, for you to speak through your word that we've just heard read. Please speak and encourage us, build us up. Help us to see what these things mean in our lives today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's been 2,000 years. 2,000 years of waiting, wondering, trusting, struggling for God's people throughout those 2,000 years and uh, even now today. So we might look around us now in the world today and think, where is God? What is God doing? Uh, we might feel that in our own lives and our own individual circumstances. We might be struggling with particular things in our lives here and now, right now. And we are asking ourselves, what is God doing? Uh, what can we expect from him? What is going on? We look around us and we see war in Europe, in Israel. And we uh, think, if you imagine if you're a Christian living in Israel right now, there are Christians who are Jewish, Messianic Christians living um, in kind of uh, Israel. Um, there are Christians who are Palestinian living in Gaza. Uh, on both sides of the divide, caught in the middle of this terrible crisis. Imagine what it's like wondering what God is doing um, in the middle of that crisis, fearing for your life, saying, Lord, save us, and then sometimes crying out in those ways and thinking, God isn't answering those prayers. Well, this is something God's people have struggled with throughout human history and certainly over the last 2,000 years. But God's people have been sustained then and now by the, the knowledge that God is a God who is faithful and who keeps his promises. And so he's a God that we can trust. 
And that is at the heart of what we've got here in Daniel chapter 9. The idea that God is a God who keeps his promises. And we can be as confident of that today, 2,000 years after Jesus came, 2,600 years roughly after Daniel prayed this prayer, we can be just as confident today that God keeps his promises. Let's see how that comes through in these verses um, as we look at them together. So how then does God keep his promises? That's our question for us this evening. And we can see, first of all, verses 1 to 3, he keeps them according to his word. So remember, we've met this guy, Daniel, through, uh, we've been studying this this term, going through chapter by chapter. We had a little break over the last uh, couple of weeks. We looked at John chapter 17, continuing, continuing that little series that we've also been doing, but we're back now in Daniel for a couple of weeks And we've met uh, Daniel, we've seen that he is a faithful member of God's people. There's all kinds of chaos going on around him. He's been taken into exile. He's now much, much older than he was at the start. If you think um, uh, that uh, this desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years, and we know he was taken into, so that's verse 2, he was taken into captivity in Babylon at the start of that period, and now here he is at the end, So he was being faithful at the start. He must have been a sort of young teenager. Now he's a pretty old man. And uh, he has been faithful all that time. He's been a man of prayer, we've seen. Do you remember back in chapter 6? He insisted on carrying on praying, even though he knew that that would mean that he was going to incur the wrath of the authorities. And he got thrown to the lions and God saved him. He's a man of prayer, but now we discover he's also a man of God's word. And so as he observes what's going on around him, we've now got to the point where the the Babylonians who seemed undefeatable, nothing could bring them down. Well, they have been brought down. And now it's the first year of Darius, King Darius, ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, They're now in the past. In the first year of that reign, Daniel's been studying the scriptures and he understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Let's just see what he would have meant by that. There's two little bits in Jeremiah that are relevant here. Put them on the screen. So Jeremiah 25, verses 11 and 12. And... um, so, um, so you can see that, but I can't see it on my phone, so I have to turn to it in the Bible. You have to excuse me for a minute. Um, so this is God, uh, God speaking through Jeremiah about what's going to happen to Babylonian, to the Babylonians. This whole country, verse 11, will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. So this is a sort of message of judgment on God's people, that the Babylonians are going to come and take them. But, verse 12, when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. So Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, what happened was 
Jeremiah warned God's people, if they carried on like this, disaster would come, they'd be taken into Babylon, and then, even in saying that, he said, but there will be 70 years and then you'll be brought out again. That was all clear from the beginning. So that's part one of what Daniel understood. Part two is chapter 29. So, verse 10, again, um, this is a letter to, the, to, to the, those who are in exile. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So can you see there were two promises there that would happen at the end of the 70 years. Number one, the king of Babylon's would be judged. Number two, they will be brought out. And so can you see what's happening is Daniel is recognizing, I can see chapter 25 has happened. That's what he's saying. And so now what I want to see, Lord, is will chapter 29 happen? So chapter 25 has happened. We've seen uh, the king of the, the Babylonians be judged because now they've got uh, Darius has come in and, and, and wiped them out. Now, Lord, will you do chapter 29? And if he does that, what will it mean for, for God's people? It will mean that they are brought out of exile and back, uh, back to this place, which is Jerusalem. So fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. So now, Lord, please, would you do the second half? So can you see what this is showing us is how does God keep his promises? Well, first of all, he keeps his promises according to his word. He does, he doesn't just do, do new things that he's just dreamt up. He does what he says he's going to do. That's how God works. But notice that what that produces in Daniel, as he, as he observes that God is a God who makes his promises, so please, Lord, make, keep your promises, is he prays. Do you see? So God promises he's going to do this, and in Daniel, that produces not kind of fatalism, you know, oh, well, that's, that's what God says, so we'll just wait, sit here and wait for it to happen. He doesn't say that. He prays. He says, Lord, this is what you've promised. Now please do it. And it's a great model for us on how we should respond to the promises that we find today in God's word we think about it so there are still lots of promises we have today as new testament christians who live with jesus having come there is the promise for example here's just a, one i've plucked out at random in the new testament philippians 4 19 promises to us that god is going to care for us so My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And so there are times when we, when we struggle to believe that, aren't there? There are times when we think, I, Lord, can I really believe and trust you? Well, here is a promise which should move us to pray. That is what happens with Daniel. He recognized, here's something that's God's promise, so I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to pray for God to do it. Let's be people of prayer like that in response to the promises God's made. How does God keep his promises? According to his word. Then secondly, God, how does God keep his promises? In response to his people's prayers. So verses 4 to 19, we get this extraordinary 
prayer. And again, there's a few things to notice about this prayer. One thing that's striking about this prayer is it is corporate. So it's Daniel praying, and in one sense he's praying by himself, but he says we, not I, doesn't he? And look at the things he's saying about, um, about, first of all, about God's people. We have sinned, and we have done wrong. We have been wicked. We have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. In one sense, we look at Daniel, and we've, we've followed his life through the book of Daniel, and we might think, well, hang on a minute. Daniel hasn't done these things. Daniel's been pretty amazing, actually, hasn't he? I mean, he's stood firm under really, really tough circumstances. But Daniel recognises that, in one sense, that isn't the point. That he is part of God's people, and God's people collectively need God's, uh, need to, to admit to God that they have done wrong. And the same is still true today. In one sense, we are part, we're in this together as God's people. It's why we, you know, as we did earlier in the service, we began by confessing our sins together. Because we're in this together. We are the family of God. What one of us does affects everybody else. I think in a, in a, in a world of individuals, which is what the, the modern world has, you know, has become, we're all just atomized individuals who just care about ourselves. And we can import that attitude into the church if we're not careful. And so we think you know, the sum total of the Christian life is just me and God and what suits me and, 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 and all the rest of it. And that's true in the rest of the world, but it can't be true in the life of God's people. We are in this together. Don't just be individuals. And so he's praying this, this prayer on behalf of God's people. And uh, we see, well, he, he prays about their sin. He actually begins, though, verse 4, with this prayer of adoration, of recognizing God. Look at, uh, let me say who you are. You are the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. That's going to be the basis of any prayer, isn't it? We start with who God is. We start with what he's like. We start with how we can trust him. Is that what our prayers are like when we pray to God? Or do we start simply with the kind of, Lord, would you please do this, 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 and this? We start with saying, no, look, Lord, this is who you are. I'm trusting you. I'm holding on to you. And then we begin our requests. So it goes adoration, then it goes confessing sin. And almost everything in the Christian life starts, doesn't it, with saying, I'm a sinner. We have sinned. The way down, admitting that, is in fact the way up. It's the way to blessing from God is to say, I deserve nothing. Not to bring out our spiritual CV and wave it in front of God and say, look at all the amazing things I've done, God. No, we don't need to do that. He's not asking us to do that. We start with saying, look, I can't bring anything to this conversation, Lord. I've got nothing. I need your mercy. And that is what Daniel, on behalf of God's people, is saying at this point. We've got nothing to bring to you, Lord. We don't deserve any of this. All we've got is to appeal to your mercy and that is what he then does isn't it so verse 9 the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him we've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the Lord he gave us through his servants the prophets we, we, we've turned away and, and he says it again and he goes on and he said he talks about the all the ways they've turned their backs on them he says that the disaster that's come on us in this exile verses 13 and 14 well that was deserved that's exactly what we should have had 
now, uh, verse 15, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We've sinned and we've done wrong. He's keeping going with that. Verse 16, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem. Verse 18, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. So can you see in one sense, it's quite a long prayer, but it's quite a simple message, isn't it? I've got nothing to bring. We come, I come to you, Lord, with empty hands. The people of God have got nothing. No great deeds to wave in your face. All we've got is our sin and the judgment we deserve. Lord, be merciful. It's like uh, the blind man on the side of the road, you know, in the Gospels, Bartimaeus. And uh, you've just had that in, in, in um, Mark chapter 10, we've just had the scene where the disciples of Jesus have bigged themselves up and said, you know, who's going to sit at the, they've been having an argument about who's going to sit on God's right hand or the left. Come on, you know, who's, who's the best disciple, in other words? That's the kind of conversation they're having. And Mark deliberately contrasts that with the attitude of this blind man sitting by the side of the road immediately afterwards. And what does the blind man say? Not, Lord, you know, look how good I am. He says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's all he says. Have mercy on me. A sinner. And as if Mark is saying to us, that is what authentic prayer and trust and relying on God looks like. And so, do you see, that's what, that's what Daniel is doing. He, he's modelling to us what authentic prayer looks like, but he's doing it in response to God's word, as we, as we saw in, the, in verses 1 to 3. And he's doing it even though that is, this is exactly what God has promised. So we need to do that too. Keep on day by day praying for mercy, praying for forgiveness for the ways that we have turned our backs on God uh, because that is exactly what he's promised. Let's then see how God, uh, what, what happens next. So how does God keep his promises? Thirdly, what we see is in his way and timing. That is the message of verses 20 to 27, in his way and timing. Just notice, while we're still on the prayer, in response to that, while I was speaking and praying, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, while I was still in prayer, verse 21, uh, this angel appears to him. So he, he, he hasn't even finished praying the, the prayer that's recorded for us. He, he's, he's still doing it. And, and you see what, uh, I guess, once he's finished, the, the angel starts talking to him. Uh, verse 22, Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, do you see that? As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So can you see, it's, it's almost an aside, but the point is not that, you know, God's heard this long prayer and thought, yep, that, those are the right words, so yeah, we'll give him a tick for that and we'll, we'll go and do it. No, it, it. That isn't the point. It was before the words had been come out of Daniel's mouth that God was already responding. Why was that? Well, because that's what he promised to do, isn't it? So the, the, this is not a kind of transactional thing where if you pray the right words, you get the right response from God. This is about 
being the people of God whose only attitude can be relying on God and not on ourselves, praying because what else can we do, and trusting that that is the, the kind of, um, that, that God is the God who, who helps people who can't, who, who have nothing to bring to him. So he, uh, he, uh, he, he knows what we need before we ask him, doesn't he? And that is what we see here. And that is what we then see as he answers this, uh, the, the, the prayer that, that Daniel has prayed. We say, Lord, we can't do this, your will be done. And that is exactly what God then says in verses 24 to 27. Now, these verses are hard to understand, okay? So in my afternoon of thinking about this, um, this is, so I just, I just really struck by, this is, this is a really handy little book here called um, The Message of Daniel by uh, Dale Ralph Davis. And uh, he, he just says, he, 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 wrote, he had a lecture that he did once, and he called it, which is on these verses, and it was called 70 Weeks and 20 Problems. So what he's saying was he'd come up with 20 things which are hard to understand just from verses 24 to 27. Okay, so that's quite a lot of questions. Um, and uh, they're all listed here. I, mean, I won't go through all of them, but it's quite fun just to see how many questions there are, really. Um, you know, is it just weeks or weeks of years? Are they to be taken literally or in some symbolic way? How, do we how do we, are we to understand the fulfillment of the purpose clauses in verse 24? Are they fulfilled in the decisive way in Christ's first advent? Or do they point to an, an ultimate fulfillment in the wake of his second advent? I mean, I, I appreciate there's far too much there to, to really take in. But you see, the point is, the, the, some little bits in the Bible are quite hard to understand. That's okay. Uh, the, the Bible itself tells us that that's the case at, at, at points. Um, but there are things that we can see, okay, nevertheless. So I think we need to approach verses 24 to 27 with humility. Um, I think we need to acknowledge that people read this and come up with slightly different ideas of what's going on. I don't think all of those ideas are equally helpful, I have to say, but I, I, I'm going to attempt to show you something of what's going on here, and we can talk later about whether we think that's helpful. Um, lots of translations of these verses um, talk about weeks, okay? So where it says sevens in, in quotations, it, it, it would say weeks. So seven, it, the question is how you translate this particular word. And um, is it sevens as in seven days, i.e. a week, or, or what is it? And it's because people are trying to puzzle out exactly what is being talked about here. Um, but one of the first things we need to remember when we're reading this is that this is a type of literature which is called apocalyptic literature, okay? And today, that is really weird for us to read stuff like this where you get all this sort of symbolic language. We, we find that hard to understand. Back then, it would have been kind of, oh yeah, we're really used to this. This is exactly how people write things. So there are little bits of, um, uh, other bits of literature in the Bible which are like this, and the other obvious one is the book of Revelation. Okay? And, and Revelation and Apocalypse mean the same thing. And do you know, the, the odd thing is to us today in the 21st century, Revelation and Apocalypse are not about making things more difficult to understand, which is generally how we tend to read these 
types of things. It's the opposite. It's literally the opposite. Revelation is about making things known that you didn't know before. So this is meant not to conceal things from us. This is meant to tell us things that we need to know. And so that is what the angel is doing. But in doing that, what we need to understand is that this type of literature is full of symbols. So it's not, the, the idea is not that you read this and go, oh, okay, literally all this is going to happen. So I look for literal kind of word-for-word fulfillment of this. Now, that isn't how this kind of literature works at all. It's all about symbols. And that will include numbers. Okay? Now, sometimes people get completely over the top about numbers in the Bible. Okay? And they go, anytime there's a number, they're kind of like, oh, well, it means this, this, and this. Okay? We've got to be really careful here. You can't just do that with any number in the Bible. But there are times, particularly in this type of literature, where it is helpful to do so. Let me give you a, a couple of examples. Um, the, the, the basic way to try and understand this sort of literature in the Bible is to compare it with other p- parts of the Bible. One of the reasons we don't understand it and think that it's covering things up is just because we don't know the rest of the Bible very well. But actually, if you, if you start to look into how these things have been used in other places, it starts to make more sense. So... Let's, let's take a step back and think, okay, this is meant to be, answer, the whole point of this is it's meant to be answering Daniel's pr- uh, prayer for God to bring his people back to Jerusalem, okay? That, that's meant to be what's going on here. So whatever is going on in verses 24 to 27 needs to answer that prayer in some way. And that basically is what you start to see in verse 24, Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness, bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. And so immediately um, we are seeing, okay, that, there's some stuff there that Daniel has prayed for, hasn't he? So um, that sounds pretty good. So if all that stuff happened, then Daniel, what Daniel prayed for, which is for them to be brought back into the, the holy city, would all happen. But actually what the, the angel is saying to Daniel is that more, perhaps, than he's prayed for is, is included in that. So not just that they'll be brought back into Jerusalem, but actually there'll be an end to sin and uh, atone for wickedness, bring in everlasting righteousness. And in one sense, we can see that that is an answer to the prayer that Daniel has just prayed, which is acknowledged that the big problem with God's people is their sin. He's just spent many verses that we've just read out talking about the big problem of sin. And so if God just answered the prayer by putting them back in Jerusalem, but didn't do anything else, the prayer wouldn't actually be answered because there is a deeper problem than simply that they're in exile. The deepest problem for God's people is their sin and rebellion against God. And it's still our deepest problem today. And that is the problem that the angel is saying is going to be answered. But what we then see is it's going to take rather a lot longer than you think it's going to. So that's why the heading here is in his way and in his timing. 
So let, let's see, he, he expands on that. So this, this idea of 77s, we'll think about what that is in a moment. Know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. So this is about the rebuilding of Jerusalem, but it's about more than that. That's the point. So there will be a rebuilt Jerusalem, but actually there will be trouble while that happens. So it won't be a perfect rebuilt Jerusalem. You're going to be wanting more. And that seems to be what this seven sevens and then 62 sevens is about, or seven weeks and then 62 weeks. That seems to be saying they're going to be, we can divide up the future into periods of time. Seven and then 62, and then one more, um, uh, the, uh, one more at the end. So able to make up the 77s that we talked about in verse 24. Now let's just think about these, these seven weeks. I talked about how these numbers are symbols. Uh, there's, a, there's an example in the New Testament where somebody comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? This is Matthew chapter 18. Seven times. And Jesus says, no, not seven times, seven times 70 times, or 70 times seven times, he says. Okay, it's the same numbers. Now, the point of seeing that is to see, first of all, the number seven in the Bible is just a sort of symbol for perfection all over the place. Um, Seven is, if you want something to be perfect, you choose the number seven. Seven times 70 is even more perfect. So when Jesus says, forgive your brother um, seven, seven times, 70 times. He's not saying, right, get your, get your notebook out and write down every time you forgive them because once you hit 490, you can stop. You know, number 491 at that time, you don't need to forgive him. Is that what Jesus means when he says that? No, of course it's not. So can you see there, same numbers, very obviously symbolic, not literal weeks or years. And so I'd suggest, therefore, that this is where commentators come down in different um, positions. But I would suggest, therefore, it isn't wise to try and make these numbers fit a very specific chronology. Okay, because the numbers are symbols and the rest of the Bible doesn't use these kinds of numbers like that. Now, one of the books some of us have been using for our... Uh, Bible studies when we've been doing this in small groups is a book by John Lennox and he he being a mathematician and I'm a mathematician so I can say this I don't think he's very helpful at this point because he he gets very excited about numbers at this point and goes into a lot of detail about lunar years and Gregorian calendars and all kinds of complicated things in order to try and pin down dates and that, 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 that is one example of a whole genre of ways of trying to read this Um, which I think is missing the point of how this kind of literature works. This is just saying there's going to be a period of rebuilding, the first seven. Then there's going to be 62 sevens, which is going to be a kind of waiting period. What's going to happen then, verse 26? After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be put to death. And will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. 
he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven or one week. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, what is going on there? Anointed one, Messiah. This is pointing forwards to Jesus. So you can start with seeing that. But this seems to be saying, dividing up the future, looking forwards and saying we've got this short period of rebuilding Jerusalem, 62 weeks of waiting, and then a final week. To cut a long story short, the New Testament talks about how we are now in the last days. Okay, So it seems that this week, even though it sounds like a really short period of time, is the last days which began when the anointed one was put to death and will end when Jesus returns. So we are in this final period, but not in a way that makes us have to go, all right, let's get our calculators out and find out exactly, is it 2023? Um, I think I've told you before that you know some guy in America a few years predicted the end of the world on Sue's birthday in uh, 2016 or something, but I was wondering if I was going to have to buy her a birthday present that year. But you see, th- th- these, those kinds of predictions are really, really unhelpful. And trying to sort of go through the Bible and go, oh, look, it's the tanks, the tanks there in, you know, in, in, in Russia or whatever, they're, they're, they're this, they're this. You know, that, that isn't how this works. But the point is we are in these last days. Now, if you drill down into the details, you might be thinking, well, how does this all work out and, and there's an order here there's a bit that looks like it's probably the destroy the destruction of the temple exactly what order does it all happen in i think what is going on here is it's a bit like what happens in in, in matthew 24 in the new testament so this is the, when, when jesus starts looking forwards things which are going to happen in the future get compressed as they talk about them into kind of one event so it's like when you see, if you, if you imagine you're, you're looking ahead and in the distance you see a light and then when you get close to the light you discover it's actually two lights. Maybe one behind another, like one candle behind another. From a distance it looks like one, get close and it's in fact two. And that seems to be the kind of thing here. So don't get too worried about the exact order it all happens in because we are standing back from it and, imag- and looking from way before it happens get close to it and it all begins to expand and and, and look different and so you know get close to this one week that is coming in the future and it expands into what has become 2,000 years do you see now you can you can come back and argue about that with me later but that that is an attempt to offer us something about what might be going on in these verses what though is the point of all this how does this help us in the Christian life here today is this just a sort of interesting lesson about prophecy well apart from what we've seen about the the, the, how this helps us as we pray in response to God's word as we rely on him what this is saying to us is we as God's people are called to a long-term patience as we wait for God to fulfill his promises that was what Daniel was doing he needed to wait he needed to trust He needs to trust that God would do what he said he was going to do. We are still in the same boat. And this is saying to us, you can trust God when life is hard. Because look, Daniel was there and he needed to learn that lesson. 
Here are we today looking out on, on the world around us with all that's going on as we thought about before. Here are we with all the struggles we have in our own lives. We need to know that we can trust God and he's going to keep his promises. And what we can see here in the promises that the angel makes to Daniel is you can trust the God, this God who does things in his, his way and his timing. Daniel, Daniel's prayer was simply to just be brought back to Jerusalem. God answered it in a way that was more complicated in one sense because uh, he, 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 you know, it suddenly became about this 49, uh, the, 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 all these sevens to come, more complicated than he thought, but, but actually better. Do you see? And so as we wait and we trust now, we can have confidence that God is still the same kind of God. So as we struggle with ways that God oh, doesn't feel like God is answering this prayer in the way that I want him to, trust that God is the God who doesn't always do things in the way that we expect, but he is the God who, who keeps his promises. And so right in the midst of all the, 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 the stuff that's going wrong in the world right now and in our lives, keep our eyes on him, know that he will sustain us, his enemies will be destroyed, Jesus has died and risen from the dead, we can keep looking to him and trusting him. So let's, let's pray and encourage each other with that as we go from here later. Father, thank you for your promises that you've kept in your son Jesus. Thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises. We, we understand that from your word. May that make us pray more like Daniel did. And then may we trust you when the future is more weird or more uncertain than we could ever have imagined it might be. Knowing that nevertheless the end is certain. Your enemies will be defeated because Jesus has already died and risen from the dead. The decisive battle has been won. And so rather than wanting everything now, help us to be patient, to trust that you are bringing about a future that is way better than we can ever imagine in the new heavens and the new earth as we wait for your son Jesus to return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.